Hello and welcome to Restoration Church's teaching podcast. We are in Prescott, Arizona. My name is Nate Huss and I'm one of the team members here. And uh, if this is your first time, welcome. We're so glad that you could tune in. Will you please take a moment just to grab your Bible and we are going to dive in together. Mark chapter 6. We're talking still about practicing the way of Jesus, but in a different context this morning. We're going to kind of go on a, a different perspective, a different avenue, but continuing this topic of what it looks like to trust Jesus with our time, but with a component we've not yet, uh, I think, spent much time with. And most of you, if not all of you, know what it feels like, what it means uh, in the midst of your your day-to-day lives to be highly in demand, to have busy schedules guaranteed in that lobby just minutes ago. Someone said, how are you? And many people said, I'm busy. We've talked about that before. That's our cultural norm. That's this badge of honor and courage. We pride ourselves in being busy because if we're not busy, we think we're not important and we don't know what to do with ourselves. And we actually have to live with our own thoughts. And that's kind of terrifying. And so we keep ourselves busy. And it's, it's one of those things kind of like my phone here. I know my life would be better in so many ways if I just got rid of my phone and spent much less time on it, but I don't do it. I don't know how to do it. I still am addicted to the thing. Busyness is the same. I think most of us know we're far too busy. And whatever stage of life you're in, whether that's with young kids or uh, people moving from California probably, but many other areas, all kinds of things that can keep you busy, really regardless of the stage of life that you're in. I'm curious, though, if you've ever uh, read through the scriptures and, and paused to reflect on how insanely busy Jesus actually was, on, on how in demand beyond us Jesus was. And I want to kind of just paint that picture for just a minute, only from really Mark chapter 6. And in Mark chapter 6, we'll see that Jesus had uh, gotten himself into the business, if you will, of leadership development. He had a lot of followers and he was training them and giving them experiences and opportunities and feedback with his disciples. He also had massive crowds following him everywhere that he was teaching and pouring into. He had meaningful relationships with friends and family members and and new people that he was meeting. He was healing people constantly. It it says in in Mark chapter 6 that no matter where he went, town, city, country, away, they would find out where he was, they would recognize him, they would chase him, and they would bring all their sick before him. I want to read just a couple of the the verses in Mark chapter 6. I'm going to kind of skip uh, a little bit. You don't have to read with me, but just kind of soak in his itinerary, his schedule, his pace, because it's it's a little bit crazy. In uh, Mark chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. Then in uh, verse 6, now he was going around the villages in a circuit teaching, going from town to town, busy. People want to hear from him. He summoned the 12 and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over unclean spirits. He instructed them to take nothing for the road except a walking stick, no bread or traveling bag, no money in their belts. They were to wear sandals, but not put on an extra shirt. 
Uh, fast forward to verse 30, and the busyness continues in a different way. The apostles gathered around Jesus, and now they report to him all they had done and taught. So Jesus sent them out. Now they're going to get feedback and, and hear how they did. He said to them, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest a while. For many people were coming and going, here we go, and they did not even have time to eat. They didn't have fast food back then, so it was more complicated. So they went away in the boat by themselves to a remote place, but many saw them leaving and recognized them. People ran there by land from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. Then verses 53 through 56 in the same chapter, when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and beached the boat. As they got out of the boat, people immediately recognized him. They hurried throughout the vicinity and began to carry the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he would go, into villages, towns, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might just touch the tassel of his robe, and everyone who touched it was made well. That's a pretty significant level of busyness. That's a pretty significant level of being in demand. But you too likely know what it means and looks like and feels like to be in demand. A kid needing ketchup on his plate every five seconds. Uh, a family member or friend that needs help. A customer that needs a solution immediately. My golf swing desperately needed help yesterday. <laughs> like there's all kinds of things, right? There's this demand. You know it. I know it. Here's what's crazy in verse 46, right? Smack dab in the, the, the middle of this chapter. After Jesus said goodbye to them, his disciples, he went away to the mountain to pray. There's three key words this morning. Jesus went away. In the midst of all kinds of really good opportunities, in the midst of this venture and mission to literally save the world, in the midst of healing people from physical ailments and, and mental illnesses and all kinds of issues, in the midst of teaching his disciples and developing the 12 that would go change the world and spread his name, Jesus stopped and paused. He left. Jesus went away. That's going to become really important for us this morning. And it wasn't a one-time thing. Multiple times, Jesus went away. In the midst of good opportunities and people demanding him and needing him and following him and begging him, he made a pattern, a habit, a practice of leaving all those good things to go be away and have communion with the Father. Often it was after great successes. Often it was after hardship and brokenness and trials or facing an upcoming challenge. But Jesus practiced going away, stopping the good he was doing to go be with the Father. If you just look actually at the, the life of Jesus throughout the Gospels and in Mark as well, we can fairly quickly see that in his own mind, Jesus believed that he could not afford to not get away to be with the Father. I'll say that again. In his own mind, Jesus believed that he himself, the Son of God, could not afford to not get away to go be with the Father. He was tasked with loving the world in a way they've never experienced love. He had people all around him constantly. 
Yet one of the most essential things he needed to do to be able to love them was to leave them, to go away, and to be with the Father, to experience the love of the Father. And then as he was filled with the love of the Father, only then go love others. If Jesus himself couldn't afford to not get away to be with the Father, how insanely misinformed must we be if we don't think we need to get away to be with the Father? Now, I'm not talking about having a devotional in the mornings or at night or a weekly rhythm of whatever it is to spend some time with God. This is different. This is like a once a quarter, every couple months, something of that variety as is needed. It's not a, a regular, uh, consistent rhythm. It's periodic, and it's uh, for a little bit of a longer time. But if the Son of God himself prioritized in the midst of tons of good opportunity. And we know tons of good opportunity really well. There's never been more good opportunity for human beings than there is in our moment right now. Education, endless. Business, entrepreneurial options, endless. Time, entertainment, endless. Food, experiences, pleasures, endless. Like we have more good options at our fingertips than ever before. But Jesus showed us the way to say no to good, to say yes to what is essential and crucial. When Jesus went away, he did so for himself, but not only for himself. He recognized that to love others well, he needed to leave. He recognized that was in the best, what was in the best interest of his disciples and his followers and those that were demanding and begging for him was actually for him to leave and go be filled with the Father. I used the word misinformed earlier very intentionally because Satan wants nothing more than to give you false information causing you to think and feel and believe that your family cannot afford for you to get away to spend time with the Father, that your friends and loved ones or that needy person cannot afford for you to get away to be with the Father, that your business or your assets or this or that cannot afford for you to get away to be with the Father. Satan very much wants to give you that misinformation. When the truth is the total opposite, deep down, your children, your loved ones, your friends, your family, your businesses, your neighbors, whatever it is you do, your health, your body, cannot afford for you to not make time to go be with the Father. Once again, just so we're clear, if Jesus himself prioritized in the midst of all the good he was doing, getting away to be with the Father, how insanely misinformed do we have to be to think that we too don't need that? Yet, I'm speaking with all of us, for all of us, I'm very confident that the majority of us in this room probably don't have a rhythm of doing that. Somehow, we don't actually say it, but we kind of internally have, have spoke this without saying it. We've internally embraced the mentality where we go, hey, Jesus, I know you need that. You need to go away and be on the mountain and have some time with the Father, but I think I got it. I think I'm good. I, I understand that you had to go up the mountain and get away from everyone else because you were tired and busy and you had a lot of important things to do, but I think I'm okay. You've probably never said that, but you're probably living that out right now. I don't think I've ever said that, but I know I often live that out. That's the reality. 
Look at uh, verses 30 through 34. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught, and it was good. Notice that. It was successful. He said to them, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest a while. He's seeking to hand down what we as humans struggle with so much. One of the, the most significant differences between Jesus and us is that he didn't put it all on his own shoulders. Though he was God, he was dependent upon the Father. Though we're not God, we still seek to depend on ourselves primarily. He was seeking to hand this down to his disciples. He said to them, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest a while. For many people were coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they went away in the boat by themselves to a remote place. Now they have good intentions to do so, right? They're, they're recognizing the limits of their humanity. Jesus had human limits too that he allowed to be placed on himself that he chose, and the disciples certainly did, like you and I have human limits. And one of the most important things we can do as followers of Jesus is recognize and acknowledge and embrace our human limits so that we don't try to be God because we're not God and that's the best thing for us. Jesus did this, they did this, they went away in the boat by themselves to a remote place, but many saw them leaving and recognized them. People ran there by land from all the towns and ran and arrived ahead of them. The, the whole mission to rest and embrace their humanity as God created it was messed up right from the start. They sought to do what was good and whole and right, and it didn't work out. And look what Jesus did. He stepped ashore. He saw a huge crowd that he was trying to get away from and had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He loved and he listened and then he began to teach them many things. Jesus was willing to be taken on detours away from the destination. The lives of people are messy and broken. It's easy to sit in a circle and talk about how we should treat people. It's a lot harder to get involved in people's lives. Jesus was willing to do that. He was willing to be taken on detours away from his schedule and itinerary, even away from what was healthy for him. We too should be willing to be taken on detours, to love well, to listen well as needs come up and people need us to, to go off course, to love. That's our call if we're following Jesus. But notice this, he did not let the detour keep him hinder him from arriving at the mountain, his destination. Because it was more important for those people that he was called to love, those people that were following him, that he eventually made it to the mountain to be in communion with the Father. Otherwise, he would have nothing left to give. Because you and I, in and of ourselves, though you're brilliantly made in the image of God, we don't have enough love to give unless we're first and foremost filled by the Spirit with the love of the Father. Once again, if Jesus himself prioritized going away to be in communion with the Father, how much more so do we need it? That's kind of the why. If Jesus' need and his embracing and prioritizing in the midst of all these good opportunities does not persuade you to embrace a season, a time, a practice periodically of getting away to be in communion with the Father, I have no idea what will. So I'll let you and, and the Spirit work that out. That's the why. Here's the how. I want to talk about some practical ways that might be helpful to do this. Because if Jesus did it, I think we also ought to prioritize it if we take the call to love those around us seriously. So uh, a couple tangible things. 
Uh, first, let's look at verse 46 one more time. It'll kind of be an outline. After he had said goodbye to them, he went away to the mountain to pray. First step, if we're going to go away as Jesus went away, is to go away and say goodbye to people and then to your responsibilities, your worries, your to-do list. Jesus had to literally leave the good things, leave, say goodbye to the responsibilities and the demands of the day and go find a remote place on a mountain to be in communion with the Father. You need to find a mountain and it has to be a mountain. Not a literal mountain, but somewhere where you are away. Now that's gonna be different for each of us because God made us differently. For, for some of you, you actually don't have to get that far away. Others of you, though, like you need a whole lot of help. You need a whole lot of time and you got to go really far away because you're addicted to doing things. Here's a, an example. So finding your mountain, you can define it this way. Your mountain can be anywhere where you can let go of your responsibilities and your worries and the demands and you are not capable in that place of accomplishing anything on your to-do list. That's, that's the criteria, that's the filter to find your mountain. So here's an example. For me, my backyard could actually work as a mountain for me. But there's some very specific rules because of who God has made me. One, it has to be night. It has to be dark, because I need to not be able to see the weeds and landscaping that needs to be done. <laughs> That's funny, but I'm serious, because if I see them, I can't help but to think about them. I also, and Chelsea and I, my wife, fight about this. The lights in the house have to be off, because I can't see the stack of dishes next to the sink while I'm outside in my backyard. Otherwise, I see the to-do list. I am capable of, of handling the responsibilities I have in that moment, and I'm not saying goodbye to and leaving them. If my kids are asleep and it's dark, I can go into my backyard and just have that time. But that's specific. Again, some of you can't handle that. Some of you got to go away far, far, far away, depending on who you are. Only you can determine what is a safe leaving and goodbye. Now, I do think it's probably best for it to be somewhere in nature that's remote. It's not necessary, though. For some people, that could be a coffee shop in a different city. That could be lots of different things. You know you. You have to figure that out. But make sure you say goodbye and leave responsibilities behind. That's the first step in this. Uh, step number two, pray. And when you hear pray, don't hear talk to God. Hear be with the Father. Oh, or as I was kind of thinking about this this morning, don't hear talk at God. How often when we think about praying is what comes to mind, this concept of us telling God things. Have you ever been in a relationship with someone that does all the talking and all they do is tell you things all the time? It's probably not a super great relationship because it's just one way. Our God is not super needy. He already knows everything about us. It's about relationship. Really, prayer actually is about communion with unity, relationship with the Father. Speaking to God is one part, then, of what prayer is. If you aren't sure as you find your mountain, then what to do with that time? I'm going to break 
praying down, that's what Jesus did, into three steps. And I would encourage you to maybe embrace them in this order. Here's the steps, and then I'll explain each. One is silent prayer. Two is reading an entire book of the Bible. It's not as terrifying as it sounds. Three, let your distractions drive your agenda. First, silent prayer. We have a a really uh, powerful tendency to make things all about us. And so I think the best place uh, as a starting place, as a starting point for communion and prayer with God is actually silence. Very, very seldom do we have silence in our world and in our moment. Yet silence can actually be one of the most powerful things that can be shared in a relationship. In his book, uh, The Deeply Formed Life, Rich Viotis explains this uh, in the context of relationships. He says this, my wife Rosie and I have been married nearly 15 years. As we have grown together, so is the ability to enjoy what I'd like to call bonding silence with each other. Now, there are those times when we unfortunately can experience that unbonding of the silent treatment marked by passive aggressiveness or anger. I'm not talking about that kind of silence. I'm talking about the quality of silence that we enjoy on long drives, through quiet moments at home or on a walk together. This is much different from our early dating years. If you've ever dated, you kind of know what he's talking about. On the first date, if you're not talking the whole time, something's really wrong. Like if you're just sitting there and there's a whole lot of silence, that's probably pretty awkward, and I doubt there's going to be a second date. Like the, the, on the drive there, like from the get-go, you just keep talking. But as a relationship progresses and, and year after year after year continues, you move from having to constantly just talk to this, this beauty of being able to just be together. But when it comes to praying, communion with our God, it's the same. At some point, you get to a place where just being with him is good doesn't have to be a magical Disneyland moment. Just being is good, and there's bonding and that silence, and I think it's a, a helpful starting place. Uh, continuing kind of on this topic, the, the same author uh, takes some time to describe the difference in common spiritual practices in our culture, including mindfulness, and the difference between mindfulness and this bonding silence. He says, there's been much talk in our culture about the benefits of mindfulness. The difference between mindfulness and silent prayer is communion with a person. The object of mindfulness is often better psychological and physical health, which are very important things, but the object of silent prayer is communion with God. I think that's important. Uh, The last thing I want to say on on silent prayer, and, and somewhat in the context of this whole going away to have communion with the Father, finding your mountain, uh, is this. Don't over-spiritualize it. We have a tendency, especially if you've never done this kind of thing, which most of us don't do often or haven't done before, to think that it has to be glamorous. It has to be this incredible experience where the dove is going to come down and speak to you and, and say, well done, good and faithful servant, or something of that sort. That's probably not going to happen. Maybe it will, and and there's times in our lives where the Spirit works in powerful, miraculous ways. That's good, but most often that's not going to happen, and that's okay. In fact, that's good. My my wife and I should go on dates quite frequently, and every date is not going to be the next best date where we get home and we're just like, wow, that was incredible. I learned all these new things about you and blah, blah, blah. That's not going to happen. That doesn't need to happen. Every now and then something like that might happen, 
But more than that, it's just this consistent, steady relationship and love. And that's what it's like with the Father as well. I recently did one of these little going away trips for a, for a half day. And I was very tempted to do this over-spiritualizing thing. I, I did a hike around Watson Lake, and I started, and then I stopped at a bench, and I uh, started reading the Gospel of John, and some guy came around the corner, and I was surprised. He was very talkative. He goes, hey, what are you reading? You're reading. That's great. People don't read anymore. I'm like, yeah, I'm reading the Bible. And then he was like just trying to convince me about how the Bible's not good, true, all this stuff. And in my head, I'm like, ah, going on this spiritual excursion. Of course, Satan has sent this man to tell me the Bible is not relevant. (laughs) After that, I gathered all the courage I had for what was going to come next, and I continued hiking, and then I stopped somewhere, and I uh, was reading the Gospel of John again, and then this really old, small Italian man in his upper 80s, like, just appeared over some of the boulders in the dells. He looked like he was crawling. And he could barely speak English. And I was like, sir, are you okay? And he just said, yes. And then he was quiet. I'm like, that's not a good sign. Like, do you need water or food or anything? As he was kind of hobbling around. And he goes, how do I, how do I get back to the trail? I'm like, well, I kind of pointed it out. I gave him some water, made sure he was okay. And I thought in this moment, well, God sent me here today so that I could save this man. That didn't happen either. He did give me some advice, though. He said, hey, stay on the trail. Like, you think you can make a shortcut? And it's not like, I got this. No worries. I got very lost later. That didn't go too well. About an hour or two left in that day, I have like no water left, no food, because I gave it all to this man out of my great generosity and spirituality on my spiritual excursion here. And so I'm feeling good about myself, and I'm walking. Praise God I didn't have my, my, uh, my headphones in, because I'm walking, and about this high on, on the, the cliff and the trail, I hear this rattle about four or five feet away from me, and there's this massive rattlesnake. And in case you didn't hear the pause between massive and rattlesnake, there was a whole lot of other words in my head in between those two things. And it's ready to strike. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I think there's a demon inside of that rattlesnake. (laughs) Finally, I get my courage once again, and I kind of just like slowly make my way. It's one of those spots in the trail where it's not actually a trail, it's just the white dots, you know? And you go from one white dot to the next. So there could be these rattlesnakes anywhere. My heart finally stops. I'm like, well, I passed that trial. That's great. And I keep walking. And then all of a sudden, there's another massive rattlesnake. And I think to myself, dear God, Satan himself must be here. Like, I don't know what's happening. When you go on this going away moment, it doesn't have to be glamorous. In fact, it's probably not going to be. In fact, it's probably best that it's not. Again, there's a time and place, and God will lead that probably just going to be mundane. You'll probably get bored. You will get distracted. That's okay. That's good. This is a long-term, eternal, healthy relationship. It's not meant to be fireworks in every moment. Pray. That's silent prayer. Number two, read an entire book of the Bible in one sitting or kind of in, in one day. That day, I read the Gospel of John. That probably took me an hour and a half to, to two hours. 
Uh, you could just read the book of Philippians. It'd take you about 30 minutes, or James would be less time, or you could pick a really short one. Whatever it is is fine. Most of the epistles, the letters written in the New Testament, were meant to be read out loud in one sitting. It was a letter. So there's, there's a different level of understanding we can grasp in that. Uh, when I read the Gospel of John, I think the Spirit spoke to me in ways I probably would not have heard if I didn't read it that day. I have a tendency uh, to be all kinds of achievement-oriented. That's how I function in life. And so uh, that's going to then impact and influence how I perceive and relate to who God is. So naturally, my tendency is to view our God as Jesus the King, which he is. That's the gospel, that he came to be king here on earth. That's why he died with a sign that said King of the Jews. But then how I begin to relate to that God naturally is that I need to achieve for Jesus the King. I need to figure out what he needs from me next and what his orders are and what I should do. And I find worth in that. And as I read the Gospel of John, I could slowly but surely hear the Spirit saying, yes, Jesus is indeed king, and that is good news. But he's also just this loving Father, and you are enough. And you don't have to achieve all the time. You're just loved. So for who I am, that was important to hear. If I didn't take the time to read that in one sitting or one day, I don't know that I would have heard that. It was, it was good, and that's been stirring in my mind since. Number three, kind of the, the final uh, key here. Let your distractions drive your agenda. I don't know if you've ever tried to pray and all kinds of things just start coming into your mind. And so you close your eyes or you go to a dark, silent place and they just still keep coming. That's okay. Actually, I think in some ways that could become an asset on a little trip like this. For example, if all of a sudden you go, oh my goodness, when I get home, there are so many dishes to do. Well, it's a moment for gratitude. You can be grateful that there was food to put on plates that you were able to eat and that God provided. That's good. Let it come in and go, Holy Spirit, how do you filter this moment? What do I learn from this? How do I see this from your perspective? If you start worrying about the bills, maybe it's the electric bill. You can go, man, when I get home, how great is it that there will be lights on? That God created humanity with this ability to invent and create and cultivate, and we get to enjoy those things. That is good. Maybe that causes you to think about your finances and you go, Spirit, am I being a good steward and manager of what you own or have I reversed that relationship and now I view myself as the owner and you're merely my financial consultant? Let the distractions come in. If you start worrying about your kids or, or loved ones or someone comes to mind, that's a great moment to remember that the Father loves them more than you do. That the Father knows them and what they need more than you do. And to pray his grace and mercy and peace upon them. Again, let the distractions come in. Don't worry about them. And invite them. And then use that as an opportunity to filter. What does the way of Jesus look like in this moment? Spirit, give me discernment and wisdom. I, uh, last week, went down to, to Tempe to see uh, the musical Hamilton and enjoyed it. And right in the middle of it, there's two songs back to back. And I didn't think about the connection that these two songs had until I was reading and studying uh, Matthew chapter 6 and thinking about how Jesus went away. The, the first song uh, right in the middle of this play is called Take a Break. And Alexander Hamilton's family is pleading with him to take a break from his good work 
from his work that was essential to the formation of our nation. They're, they're saying, please, we know what you're doing is important, but we need you to take a break. Come with us and rest and find health and what is good. Take a break. And then the next song is called, I actually I don't know what it's called, but the chorus says something along these lines. God, and it's Hamilton singing, show me how to say no to this. I don't know how to say no to this. In my mind, they were separate until this week I started the process. I wonder if maybe God's response in, in those moments in our lives, God, help me say no to this. I don't know how to say no to this, is that he already did. God already sent the family to say, take a break because you need it, and we need you to take a break. So my, my question for you is, as we close this morning, is, is your family or friends or are there people in your lives singing that song? Take a break. And maybe like Hamilton, are you ignoring in your infinite wisdom, saying, ah, I'm going to put that song on mute. I have other things that need to, to be done. The demand is too great. I'm needed now. Maybe your body is singing the take a break song and telling you something has to shift. Maybe your spirit is telling you to take a break. Maybe more importantly, the Holy Spirit is singing the take a break song. Don't ignore that song. Because if Jesus could not afford to not take a break, if Jesus could not afford to not get away, to be in communion with the Father, to be filled with his love, to rely on him so that he could then go back and love well, how much more so do we need it? It's pretty arrogant of us, of me, to think that we don't need something Jesus clearly said and communicated and demonstrated that he needed. I'm going to encourage you, implore you, kind of assign you something which we, we don't normally do. But I would love if today you would do two things. Schedule a time to do this and then pick your mountain. Because if you don't do it today, there's a really good chance you're just not going to do it. And that's okay. You have a choice to make there. But if we're trusting Jesus, then this is really important. I'm not going to say go do this today or even go do it this week, but schedule it and pick your mountain. If you don't do those two things, you probably won't do it. I'll add this too. If you're a, a parent and married and you have young kids or kids at all, you're probably going to have to take turns. So pick one day and it might be a month later, it might be a few weeks later that the other spouse gets to go do this, but it's probably worth it. If you're a single parent and you need help or there's some other uh, circumstance that would hinder you from having this opportunity, come talk to me after. We'll figure it out as a church body. We'll figure out how to help with kids, the funding, whatever's needed to make it happen because it's that important for you and therefore it's that important for us because that's what a church family is. But may we be a people that take seriously uh, the call and the model that Jesus has given us not just to go in love, but in the midst of tons of good opportunity to go away and to be in communion with the Father. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your goodness and your love, your example to not go achieve and do it all and never take a break, but instead to rest in the Father and his love to be filled and from that love, from that source, to then go love. God, clean out our ears so that we can hear you speak. Work in our lives. We are dependent upon you. We love you. 
Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, the encouraging words and, and commission and assignment. It's easy for us if we're busy, if you're like me, to, to, to take something like today and just go off and go do and forget about who I'm doing that with. It's not an alone thing, but it's a together thing. And, and we're going to continue. And one of the ways that we respond here at Restoration Church every week is through communion. We believe in that for us to take any action is to go be in partnership, but to be in, to be in unity with the Father. And so in a moment, if you're a follower of Jesus, I'm going to ask you or invite you to come up as the, as the team plays. But as you grab the elements, just remember that the bread and the, and, the, and the juice are a symbol of God's body being broken for us and his blood being shed for us, the, the symbol of his magnitude of his love. And in, by partaking in communion, that's a way for us to, to be in unity with him and experience his love. And a lot of times we say, hey, go grab your, your spouse or grab some people around you. But today I want to encourage you to do this alone as a way to enter into this thought process, this paradigm of going away, of kind of resetting yourself with the Father today by partaking in communion. So again, as the band uh, plays, uh, come as you fill in. Thanks so much for listening. Once again, we are Restoration Church in beautiful Prescott, Arizona. And again, my name is Nate Huss. I'm one of the team members here. So glad that you were able to join us. And uh, if this is your first time listening or you've been listening for a little while and um, are still doing the online thing, I just want to encourage you, go get plugged in. Um, Restoration may not be the church for you and that's okay, but I want to encourage you, go get plugged in with the local body. Is there a church in your area that you could trust and join and, and be a part of the body of Christ? There's something that is really valuable and important about journeying together with other people who are on the journey of practicing the way of Jesus. And so um, whatever that looks like, if restoration is a, a place that you could call home and you're in Prescott, Arizona, or in one of the quad cities in the area, we would love for you to join us. If not, I just really want to encourage you, um, go get plugged into a local body. It's really, really valuable. Um, and I truly believe it is important for us on our journey of faith. And so um, again, if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to restorationaz.org. And as always, remember, Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus.